Good to see you all here for worship this morning. Um, today, uh, as Scott mentioned, we we're kicking off a new series called Enough. And we'll be looking at money, as you can see by this up here. Um, anytime I talk about money, well, let me put it this way. If you talk about my children or my wife, it's kind of threatening to me. You know, if you say something about my kids, about my wife, you're probably going to get some pushback from me, whether or not it's true or not. If you say something about my use of money, you might get a little pushback from me. And sometimes when I talk about money, I feel that same pushback. Because when you talk about my kids, my wife, my money, it's personal, isn't it? Anytime we look at topics that are personal, things that are important to us, things that we even wrap our hearts around, our hearts are very much wrapped around family, relationship with God. These are wrapped your heart around money. And so when these things get brought up, man, sometimes we just feel like we feel we feel a lot of pressure. We feel we feel sometimes even attacked. And so as as we dive into this, uh, what my hope is that this would be a real help to you. That this would be something that you walk away with um, perspective. And also just some things that would help you as you're working through handling your finances in a way that pleases God. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I just love you. Thank you so much for your truth. As we look into your truth and just take some simple but challenging core principles, Lord, I pray that you use it to challenge our hearts. Lord, help us to put our priorities in the right place. Help us not to love things. They will rob us of of a healthy lifestyle or rob us of years of, of being able to enjoy our lives. Lord, help us to wrap our hearts around the right kinds of things. And as we get into this topic, Lord, I pray that we would um, allow you to speak to us. Lord, that we, through through all of what's said, God, I pray that, that we would hear your voice above it all. And that you would, as you choose, Lord, you'd point into our lives in areas that we need to hear from you on. So we give you the freedom to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as people open up with me about their personal lives, in the role that I have as pastor, a lot of conversations, probably the top issue of a struggle that comes up with people is relationships. People come and talking about their relationships and things that are not going well, things that are going well, or just input at the stage of life that they're in, and try to look at what the Scripture has to say. That's probably the top thing that comes up that I hear from people is is needing help related to relationships. The second, I think, area of priority and stress and struggle is financial. A lot of people are struggling financially. And given the situation we're in as a nation and in our state, California, it's really not a surprise. The unemployment and foreclosure rates are at historic highs. Debt is at an all-time high. Credit card debt has just tripled since 1989 from $238 billion to over $800 billion. Last year we had more bankruptcies in America. The economy overall is just a big, big mess. And so it's one thing to read these statistics, to listen to the radio, and to read the paper, the Internet, and to see all that's going wrong in our economy, and to just kind of distance ourselves from the situation. But it's another thing, you can't really do that if you know people who are hurting financially, people who've lost their jobs, people who are struggling financially, people who are on the verge of losing homes. 
jobs, being unemployed, college students who have graduated and now they, they're heading into a, a really, really, you know, difficult job market. And so this whole area is something that I, I feel like at key points we really need to discuss in very practical terms. And again, as I said, I want you to walk away with some practical help that you can use with God's help. So we tend to believe that this whole area of money and as it relates to stress, because stress and money sometimes are connected, I think we agree, but we think the stress would go down if we just had more money. If I just had more money, then the stress would go down. Um, I was on a trip in college down in Mexico serving families with a group who, and the families that we were serving lived at the, at the dump. There was the, it was the, it was the dump, this part of town, and there was a town around the dump, built around the dump, and, um, it was just everywhere you look, just trash, it smelled. If you've ever driven to the dump in any city, you know how you get that, that whiff of the, you turn the corner into the dump and you're just, whoa! And just kind of hits you. That's what this smelled like. And this is where people live. And so we went to this town and we went to serve them and we, you know, plywood houses, cardboard, just, you know, living conditions that none of us have at all. That we would all be considered rich. Everybody in here would be considered rich in comparison. And we set up this community shower. We were trying to wash as many people's feet or feet and legs as we could to just, and especially kids, you know, trying to wash kids' feet. And there was this long line, and I was with a bunch of college students, and I was a college student at the time, and we played games with kids. We handed out toys, uh, food, clothing. We handed out all sorts of things. And we're serving these people whose lives were broken down. And you can't help but just um, be broken over this experience. You know, you're in a place that's, very different than you're used to. You know, we, I, we all left, um, you know, our, our, our lives are all nice and tidy and we go and we're serving these families in Mexico that had nothing. But the amazing thing is you look at the faces of people and I won't forget looking at these people's faces who were in these long lines waiting for their feet to be washed or waiting to receive some assistance and they're smiling and they're talking and they're just sharing with each other and they're in line and the kids are smiling and they're chatting and they're grateful and they're appreciative. And there was just this real sense of a lack of stress. And I think to America, and I think here we are in America, one of the richest countries in the world, and you go out in public, walk around the mall. And what do you see on people's faces in the mall? No eye contact. Just angry. I'm going to, don't look at me. <laughs> you know. You're at a restaurant, you know, it's, it's, you might be smiling if you're talking to someone at the restaurant, but when people are doing their thing, shopping, they're just. And so if an increase in money was the key to reducing stress, then America, Southern California, we should be the most relaxed, cheery, happy nation in comparison. God has given us, He's allowed us to have a little taste of what some people are experiencing all around the world. In, in less affluent places. And so the key verse that we're going to look at for this series, it kind of launches from, is, is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. And it's, it's, it says this, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Solomon, who wrote this, 
He observed that the desire for more, that the insatiable love, the desire for more, it swallows up the enjoyment of what I currently have. If I love money, I can't really enjoy the money I currently have because I'm never satisfied with it. As my income goes up, I'm never really satisfied with that either. Later on, in verse 12 of the same chapter, he says, But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. The abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. What he's saying is increased wealth brings increased anxiety. The more you have, when you go to sleep at night, you might think, oh, if I just had a little more, my stress would go down. But the truth is, the more we have, the more that's on our mind when we go to sleep, isn't it? We're trying to make sure this stuff doesn't fall through our fingers. We're trying to make sure that we don't lose pace with other businesses, with other people. We're very consumed with this desire. If money moves from something we use to something you love, then what we've done is we've just gotten on a treadmill that moves faster and faster and faster, and the stress just goes higher and higher and higher. As soon as it shifts, money becomes more than just a use, but now it's a love of our life. Then, again, all sorts of things. We get threatened when people talk about it. People probe in the area of our money. Man, we the guards come up because that's it's something we love. We protect what we love, don't we? So we're going to look at this. In the current economic downturn, I think God is asking us, He wants us to ask some questions. One of them being, have you had enough? Have you had enough yet of this ongoing love affair with money, with the desire for more? Have you had enough stuff? Have you had enough debt? Nothing I say this morning or in this series will remove the financial stress that we're all experiencing. The only thing that could do that is if I could write you a check for $100,000. And I think for, for many people, that would feel like a huge, tremendous lift. Just, oh man, he just lifted a load. He paid off all this stuff. Now, I can't do that. I, you know, sorry, I can't do that. There might be people in this room that could, but I'm not one of them. But honestly, that would only be a temporary relief. In time, if you didn't change your perspective on money, the stress that money brings would just return back into our lives. We'd find ourselves in the same spot. This is true. You've all heard the stories about the people who win the lottery. Become millionaires, and then within a few years, it's all spent, and they're deeper in debt than they ever were. So what I want to do is I want to give and focus on what is God's gift, which is a bigger gift than even $100,000, which is foundational issues and some core keys that will introduce peace into this area where we experience a tremendous amount of stress. So we're going to look at three keys. And you can follow along in the listening guide if you'd like. And these three are in foundational order. What I mean is the first key unlocks the second, which unlocks the third. If you try to jump ahead, you might be able to understand the other keys, but you cannot unlock them unless you actually experience them at each level. So the first one is this. Discover my position. When it comes to your money, ask yourself this. Whether or not you're a business owner or not, are you in business for yourself? Think about this question. I'm not asking if you're a business owner, but do you see your money as you're in business for yourself? You're, you're at the top of this enterprise that's called me. You know, for me, it's Josh. Am I, am I, do I see my money as all of my stuff? Is it my stuff? Am I at the top of this large enterprise? Because if I am, then I'm calling all the shots. I'm at the top of this financial decision-making pyramid. It's my call. 
If I, however, if I'm just a part of a larger enterprise and I'm not really the owner of it, then the money that I have is not really mine to do as I please. I actually have to check in with my boss, whoever that is, before I allocate the company's money. So there's two perspectives. I'm either at the top or I'm somewhere in this larger enterprise and I'm, I'm serving the wishes of the person that's on the top. So what is your perspective? To a certain degree, it will determine the level of stress that you experience. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, Moses, he is, uh, you know, He's talking about how the second time he received the law, he had the Ten Commandments. He, he reminds Israel that God is to be, is to take the highest position. He actually says God has the highest position. He says God is, he's at the top and he's reminding God's people to fear God, to take him seriously, obey him, stay within the boundaries that he said, that he has set because positionally Moses is saying God is at the top. Then he, he, he gives this verse. Deuteronomy 10.14, To the Lord your God, he says, belong the heaven, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. If you look at the deed of all creation, if you look at what's... All creation, it belongs to the one who made it. It belongs to God. Everything. Our stuff is not really our stuff. It's God's stuff. These clothes, our cars, the places we occupy... Our, all of our resources, what's in our, our bank accounts, it's all His stuff. So what is our purpose? And why does He give us stuff to use? Why, why is it that our stuff seems like it has our name on it? If it's not our stuff, the reason is because we've been given a certain position by God. He's given us a certain position and a job to do. So here's the official title of our position. It's steward. The official title of the position that we need to discover, if we haven't already, is Steward. We don't use this word very much. It describes the position of manager. In the Bible, it describes, or in the day of Jesus, it's, it's also described as the trusted servant. A steward is the trusted servant. Someone who's been entrusted with someone else's resources. The manager, or the owner's resources. Sometimes even a whole estate or even people were entrusted to stewards. And they were charged to use the resources in line with the master's wishes. Jesus spoke of this whole idea of stewardship often. It comes up over and over. One example of this is found in Matthew 24, verse 25. It's more in passing he states the stewardship principle. And it's in the middle of a, in a passage where Jesus is talking about being ready for the return, for his return. He's talking about being ready. You don't want to be unprepared when, when Christ comes back. But he, he highlights stewardship, saying you are stewards. You've been trusted with resources and responsibilities. Look at this verse. It says, Who then is the faithful and wise steward, or servant, which is the word steward, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. The image here is clear. The, the last thing you want to do is to be unprepared for the master's return. To be careless with the master's resources, just spending it on ourselves, pigging out, living it up, being wasteful. And then he comes home to find that you're managing all his resources with little to no regard for his wishes. He's saying, Jesus is saying, you don't want to be unprepared like that. You want to be prepared. You want to steward well. But you know, it's tough because it's stressful to work 
for someone. So if God's really the CFO and we're somewhere in this scheme, in the middle somewhere and we're working out his, his plans, it's kind of stressful. But you know, the truth is it's way more stressful at the top. There is more stress at the top than in most all positions. I was working for a contractor who I knew, known had, who I had known for many years. And this guy was a fun guy. He was a subcontractor. And so he, he could do all sorts of things in the trade to build houses. He didn't want to be a general contractor. But then all of a sudden he shifted gears, decided to become a general, has his own business. All of a sudden the stress level went way up. This was a guy that had so much fun, so encouraging, just always building you up. And I went to work for him when he took on this company for himself and he was, he was the top dog. Man, the stress just went up. Hair started turning gray. He was being irritated always. He was always short with his words. He was short with his family. I remember it seemed like it was going to just melt him down completely. Just the stress level had went way up with, with this responsibility because the whole weight, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, the whole weight of this whole organization rested on his shoulders. It had to go. And it depended on him staying after it. Some of you are in that position where you're leading your company <clears throat> and you're losing sleep at night because this thing has got to go. Everyone's depending on you. It's, there is way more stress at the top of an organization. But if you want to cut God out, if you just want to take God out of the, out of the role that He plays and install yourself at the very top of your financial pyramid, you can do that. But you need to know that there is no peace at the top. There's no peace. It's all up to you. It's all on your shoulders. We were not designed to carry that kind of stress. If we install ourselves or promote ourselves to CFO, chief financial offer of our resources, the stress is just, it's, it's more than we were designed to carry. So whether you're in business for yourself or you work for someone else, it's still important to recognize that God is, to, to discover my position and to recognize where he's at, that he's chief financial officer. And I say discover my position rather than decide because until you experience this for yourself, until you begin to live and operate from this position in your real life, it just doesn't change. Experience comes from getting up each day and accepting your responsibility within, within this larger enterprise and trying to carry out the resources or use the resources and carry out your responsibilities the way that God intends. And this is tough because it appears that right now, we're in business for ourselves. It seems like these are our resources. The name on my bank account is Josh and Erica De La Rosa. It's not God International. And so it's tough to think this is really God's money. It seems like I can do whatever I want right now. And I'm lingering on this point because this discovering our position unlocks the key to the rest of this whole thing. Until you decide who's really in charge of these resources, who owns these resources, then you can't really unlock this next step. Till we get it, our stress just rises and falls with circumstances, with changes in our life. If you think it's all up to you to make it a go, then your stress level is just going to shoot through the roof. Here's the next key. Once you've discovered your position, then you can determine your priorities. Determine your priorities. How many of us 
have more money than we know what to do with. You know. <laughs> Don't raise your hands all at once. My guess is very few. No matter how much money we have, there are always things that we feel like we need or we should be getting to, but we can't because we don't have enough money. When you have more options than you have resources to use, what you have to do is you have to decide which options to take. You have to do this. You have to determine your priorities. If you don't determine your priorities, you'll be stressed out over all the things you can't do, and you won't be grateful for what you can do. A lot of people are stressed out because they're looking at this giant, this wall of of things they'd like to get to, but they never have the resources to do them because they're and they're stressed out trying to plug all these holes in their life, rather than just deciding here's my financial priorities, here's the order. One, two, three. Here, here's the order of priorities. I'm going to live by these priorities, and it's going to affect everything else in life. And I'm going to, I'm going to get to what God says is number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. And I'd really like to get to number ten through fifteen, but right now I just can't do that. I'm going to have to focus on these priorities that I have determined, these most important, critical things. So let's all boil down. These three basic options for money. There's three things you can do with your money. First thing is you can give it. The second thing you can do is you can save it. And the third is you can spend it. I know you can burn it. You can do other things. You can roll in it too. But there's these three basic areas that are addressed in Scripture. Give it, save it, and spend it. Spending goes to the present. Saving goes to the future. And giving usually goes to the future of others. It may even go to some present needs in the lives of others, but it goes, giving goes to others. What do you think is number one in America? Spending. And there's a word for this. It's lifestyle. What we spend determines our lifestyle. The problem with our culture is our whole economy, our whole entire economy is based on spending money. Do you remember what the president told us that we needed to do as Americans when we, at the beginning of the current economic meltdown? Go what? Go? Go spend more money. We need Americans to spend money. So there were shows on TV about shopping and getting people out into the malls, spending more money. This is the priority. Spending is the priority of our culture. Out of all these three options, spending is a priority. And if you've been born in this country, then spending money has been branded into your heart. The priority of spending money, it's been imprinted into your heart. But what do you think the CFO, God, says is the number one priority for your money? It's giving. It's not, now understand this, it's not that he says it should be the highest percentage, but what he's saying is it needs to be the highest priority. Giving to God According to him, is it's to be the highest priority. In other words, it happens before anything else does. Our high priorities, we get to those things first, in order. Then, Scripture says, God says, savings is the second highest priority. According to God's priorities, planning for emergencies, contingency plans, inheritance for our children, those things are high priorities to God. Then, get this, so first is giving, second is savings, then out of what's left over, he says, you live. Lifestyle. Spending is, comes out of what's left over. 
we typically we typically get stuck here. I know I do. I think, well, there's not enough. I'm 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 a little bit short. But the truth is, we establish a lifestyle based on what we really want. And we we wrestle with this thing. You know, I can't afford I can't afford to do it all with what I make. But I think we've got to actually honestly look into that. We honestly have to look into what we spend our money on and what we say, I'm bare bones now. And again, I think this is something that we protect, we guard what we use our money for. But I know at times when I'm stuck at this spot and I start taking a hard look at where I'm using my resources, I've justified in my head that, yeah, I can't make my lifestyle a go. But the truth is my lifestyle at that point may be way inflated beyond where what I really need. God says this about resources. He says if we'll put our kingdom, His kingdom first, He takes care of our needs. Meaning, He provides enough. He's counting on us giving, saving, and living. He provides enough for what we need and what we make. And you know what? It's tough, but we struggle with this whole area. Why does God say that number one is giving? Because it breaks our love of money. It reminds us that we're part of a larger enterprise. Giving reminds us that we're part of something bigger. Ecclesiastes 5.10, again, whoever loves money never has money enough. Giving is that one thing that breaks the continual desire for more. It cuts the love, of, the nerve of our love of money. But in order to cut the nerve, giving, our giving has to alter or it has to mess with our lifestyle. If not, then lifestyle spending remains the number one priority of our life. Same thing with giving. It's a priority, but you have to save enough to really alter your lifestyle. Otherwise, no matter what we say, lifestyle, spending, is the number one priority. That's how we break the love of money. First we give, then we save, then with what's left over, we decide how we're going to allocate the resources to live, which is extremely challenging for us as Americans. I think sometimes, like trips to Mexico, trips to other countries, it helps us get more creative with what we really, really need. But this needs to be an ongoing priority in this order, determining these, this priority of orders, giving, saving, spendings. Otherwise, spending swallows everything else up because our lifestyle floats. Just like the rise of tide, our lifestyle floats with income. We've all experienced this. In high school, I, I, bought, I bought a brand new, I'm sorry, I bought a used Toyota truck. It was running great. I didn't need to replace it, but then I get to college. My income went up in college, and I decided my truck looks really small compared to these guys' trucks. And so I went out, took out an $18,000 loan when I didn't really need to, and my lifestyle floated up with my income because I was making more money, so I figured my lifestyle needs to match my income in college. It's like the rising tide. The income goes up, and so does my lifestyle. That's why giving and saving need to be a consistent, ongoing priority. Otherwise, spending swallows those things up. Now, all of this, these determining my priorities, this only makes sense if you go back to the first thing that we talked about. If God is the, the CFO, then this stuff makes sense. But if we're the CFO, giving, spending, this stuff just seems bizarre. Savings might make a little bit of sense, but giving just seems ridiculous. In 2 Corinthians, though, Chapter 9, verse 10, 
Paul, he's instructing and encouraging the church in Corinth. And what he says is this. He's explaining some principles related to generosity. And he, he speaks of God himself. And he says this about God. He says, now God, or now he, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What, what is he talking about? He's talking about a farmer who needs seed in order to plant a field. You need seed to plant the field. How is he going to get the seed, he's saying? God gives it. Who does God determine to give seed to? In the chapter chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, you learn he gives it to those who put the seed in the ground. God gives seed. He gives more seed to the giver. This is kind of God's policy. He gives to the giver. Now, sometimes he gives actual dollars, like the verse says. He gives a store of seed. But sometimes it's a harvest of change in your life. Or it's a change in the life of people around you. It says, and he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So what this verse is saying is, as you're giving, as you put giving as number one, savings number two, and lifestyle number three, what you're doing is you're inviting the CFO to funnel resources in your life. Funnel more resources your way. That's his policy. That's how God works. That's not our policy. Naturally, we think when I have a full barn, then I'll open up a side door and consider saving. I'll start putting some savings away. We prioritize saving. I might drop something in to, to help someone out. We always think, I don't have enough right now. But in God's set of priorities, He sets a different order. And when we trust Him in that way, when we begin to trust Him in God's way, it's amazing, but He keeps His promise to meet our needs. He provides enough. We get to the end of the month and we go, oh my goodness, there's more seed. Wow. I then burned through it all in a week. And I'm three weeks, you know, three weeks to go. I know many of you are sitting here and you're saying, this is, this is true. This is, in the bottom of my heart, I'm thinking, that's right. This is what, this is, this is the priorities I need to have. I want to do that. I want to start saving. I'd like to be able to give, but I just can't do it. I've made some lifestyle decisions and now I'm stuck. And you might be thinking, that's, that's me. I'm just completely stuck. I'm tied to all of this paying for my lifestyle. The question then is, how do you get unstuck? We're going to look in more detail at this in a few weeks. How do I get unstuck from lifestyle choices? But for most people, they focus on first paying for their lifestyle choices. That's what we do. We pay for the choices we made. And then, when they can afford it, they give and they save. But you don't get out of the hole that you're in by working the problem with the same set of priorities that got you into the hole. You need a different set of priorities. That's what God is saying. There's got to be a different set of priorities in the way we allocate His resources. With those first two keys as foundational, then you're ready to tackle this, this last one. Just really briefly, it's develop a plan. Develop a plan. Paul sent this letter, 2 Corinthians, with a team who was in Corinth to encourage the church in Corinth and also to pick up a financial gift that this church had promised to give to meet the needs of another hurting church where there was a lot of hurting people. So this church was being faithful to take care of their own needs, but then Paul said, hey, there's another need that's come up over with our brothers in Jerusalem, and can you guys help? And they said, yeah, we can help. But he didn't want them to give to, the, to these needs out of pressure or out of coercion. So he says this. He says, each man should give whatever he has decided in his heart to give. It's related to giving. Each man should give whatever he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Even when it comes to the top priority of giving, it should not be an emotional, spur-of-the-moment decision. It should be the result of an already thought-out decision. Part of a plan. Part of a planned-out gift. Let's say that your priorities have been out of order and you realize, man, my priorities are all out of order and I feel really bad about it. And so the offering's coming around and I'm going to drop a big gift in there to get on track. What I would say is don't do it. Do not do it. Don't make an emotional spur of the moment decision on that kind of stuff. Go home. Take some time to think it through. Go home. Talk it over with your spouse. Begin to talk about these areas of what position are we? Are we the CFO or are we stewards? What are priorities going to be? Work it into an overall plan. One of the major financial or the causes of financial stress comes from making emotional financial decisions. We we purchase, we give, we save, we do these things on impulse rather than part of a plan. And so what I would encourage you to do is begin to think out your plan. We're going to be looking at this building a plan over the next several weeks. But if you don't have a plan for your money, someone else will. Billions and billions of dollars are spent each year on advertising dollars in order to get money out of your wallet without us even knowing about it. If you don't have a plan, it's very likely you're working out someone else's plan for your money. And so, do you have a giving plan? And if so, what is it? Do you have a savings plan? If, if, if you do, what is it? Do you have a spending plan? A lifestyle plan? It can't be whatever I make. That's not a plan. You've got to think through, what are the priorities? This series is all about helping in this area. Look, look at these next steps. Next week we're going to be looking at enough stuff. The idea of contentment and just thinking through our the things that we own and how to best use those things. Look at these next steps. First, maybe you might consider memorizing Ecclesiastes 5.10. These are on the back of the connection card that you've got as well. If you want to let us know, we'll pray for you as you take these steps. The second one is acknowledge that I'm only a steward of God's money. This is a, a bold statement. Just say, I'm a steward. He's the, he's the boss. I'm a steward. You might even consider doing a word study in your Bible or pull out a concordance or go online and search Bible verses talking about stewardship and money and begin to think through and read through what this idea of steward really means. A third next step is examine my last three months. Like look in your checkbook. Physically, like literally, look in your checkbook or your online account activity. Look at the timing of what you did with your money. Look about when you got paid. Look at what you paid first. Look at the percentages. Look at the... Consider what my checkbook says is most important. Also consider what my checkbook says is least important. And then examine those things and then establish new priorities. The last thing is this. Read The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. And I would say only read this if you've nailed down discovering your position and determining your priorities. That, that book is a tremendous help when it comes to working out a plan, the total money makeover. But if you haven't established these first two keys, then the plan isn't going to work because the heart issues are not going to be changing. And so, in just a moment, we're going to receive our offering as the ushers prepare to receive the offering. Um, if you'd also take out that connection card that you received and drop that in there. But before we take the offering, I just want to say again, if you're thinking of giving a big gift, and it's an emotional decision, then just hold on to it. Don't do it. 
Take some time to work through your position. Take some time to think through determining your priorities. If it's part of an overall giving plan that you've already established, then great. Give. So, let's go to the Lord as we pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You again for Your love for us. God, that You, you care about